Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. This week, we have a market update with Tiffany LaMandola, a water conversation between Joe Alamo and Anya Radabaugh, as well as some extra water information from Anya. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com safety. Hello, podcast listeners to Western United Dairies, seen and heard. Uh, today I'm doing a segment on voluntary agreements in the state of California and the area of the milk shed that that affects. Voluntary agreements in California have been touted as an innovative and flexible way to improve environmental conditions in the Sacramento, San Joaquin Delta, and the rivers that feed it. The goal is to provide river flows and habitat to fish while still allowing enough water to be diverted for farms and cities in a way that satisfies state regulators. In a state with an array of challenges related to water, This is arguably one of the most pressing in California because of its potential to impact millions of people who depend on water from the Delta's key watersheds, including the city and county of San Francisco, for drinking and irrigation. The Delta and the rivers that make up its vast watershed are also key habitat for the survival of the imperiled Chinook salmon runs. It's not easy getting interest groups with sometimes sharply different views, such as dairy farmers and livelihoods heavily dependent on water and water availability, to reach consensus on how to address water quality and habitat that that meets the needs of the Delta. Adding to these complications is the Delta's role as the switching yard for water exports serving vast areas of the state as far south as San Diego. Voluntary agreements are proposed in circumstances that would require water users to provide new flows for the benefit of river and streams throughout the Central Valley and outflow into the Delta. The voluntary agreements also commit money to fund habitat restoration, science, and management to gauge the effort's impact. Voluntary agreement efforts initially began in California in 2017 and they got a boost in early February 2018 when Governor Gavin Newsom's administration released a framework for these agreements. That framework outlined a 15-year, $5 billion program that calls for as much as 900,000 acre-feet of new flows and 60,000 acres of new habitat to improve delta water quality and help reverse the decline of salmon and other native fish in the Delta and its watersheds. Water agencies throughout the San Joaquin and Sacramento River watersheds, from Fresno to Redding, have embraced these voluntary approaches as a means for practicable and reasonable compliance with the state's Bay Delta water quality regulations. However, the idea of voluntary agreements has not always been without controversy. They are an alternative to a prescriptive regulatory policy, which draws concern from environmentalists and state regulators in charge of enforcing water quality in the Delta. Many users and some non-governmental organizations view voluntary settlement agreements as a viable compromise 
that can and will improve conditions for fish in a more flexible manner. The most recent version of voluntary settlement agreements, we come to an impasse as lawsuits are a chronic fact of life in California water policy, especially in the Delta. The State Water Board adopted in 2018, but not yet implemented, a plan that would require as much as half of the flow to remain in the San Joaquin River system between February and June each year to aid Delta fisheries and combat salinity levels. Although the plan left room for incorporation of voluntary agreements, the State Water Board chose in 2018 not to defer approval of its regulatory plan. Water users, some of whom had prepared voluntary agreement proposals, promptly sued. This new impasse of regulatory plans and litigation prompted Governor Newsom to change the leaderships at the State Water Resources Control Board, opting to focus all the efforts of his natural resources policy on the development of voluntary agreements. Concerned that the conflict would continue, California congressional representatives, led by Senator Dianne Feinstein, urged Governor Newsom to continue working towards coordinated operations of both the state and federal pumping facilities. Quote, this conflict, if allowed to continue, will not only reduce water deliveries just as drought may be returning to California, but also block successful negotiation of voluntary agreements to meet Delta water quality requirements, which we support. The Modesto and Turlock Irrigation Districts filed a joint statement on February 24, 2019, that said the voluntary agreements remain the best opportunity to address the flow and non-flow factors affecting our native fish. We urge the state and federal agencies to remain committed to negotiating resolution. The statement noted that even though the two districts had sued the State Water Board, that it had not prevented them from negotiating in good faith, and they see no reason why the federal government and the state of California can't do the same. The state water contractors in California echoed that sentiment and had consistently echoed that sentiment, saying that they encourage the public servants at both the state and federal levels to get to the negotiating table. The outcome of successful voluntary settlement agreements will be far more effective than anything arising from a lawsuit that may take decades to resolve. On the receiving end of the voluntary agreements are several water districts and agencies collectively called the tributaries or the TRIBS. In our interview today, we interview a board member for the Turlock Irrigation District. TID had one of the most progressive individual voluntary settlement agreements, providing between 75 and 125 cubic feet per second solely to serve environmental needs. The district already invested $83 million in non-flow measures and along the river to support native fish species and studies. They've already increased gravel to support and improve spawning and creating habitat. And according to TID, the voluntary agreements account for economic savings estimated at nearly 50 billion dollars to this region. They also estimate that they were able to create more than 194,000 jobs. 
Last week, the Newsom administration decided to walk away from the voluntary settlement agreements, determining the Ptolemy River Voluntary Agreement was not adequate to meet the Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan. It is not coincidental that the Tuolumne River and TID had the most to lose in this moment. Many people are disappointed, and you're going to hear from Western United Dairies member Joe Alamo about the challenges that his district face, faces. And from my perspective, this severely brings challenges to the larger milk shed and all of our regions down south. Since this is the flashpoint for most of the new water points, Eliminating the voluntary settlement agreements is a great concern for more negotiations in the future. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Welcome Western United Dairies members. Uh, today we have Joe Alamo. He is a Western United Dairy member and a director on the board for the Turlock Irrigation District, which is one of the parties directly involved in negotiating the voluntary settlement agreements. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking the time. We know you're back in Washington, D.C., doing wonderful things on behalf of agriculture, and we thank you for that. It takes a village. But I wanted to know today if you could give us some more background on the Turlock Irrigation District and just generally from your perspective, how TID fits into the whole water picture in California. Well, the Turlock Irrigation District is the oldest irrigation district in the state. Uh, we've been uh, supplying water to our growers for over 120 some odd years now, so uh, it's been a long time. We have uh, have the sixth largest uh, reservoir in the state with uh, New Lake Don Pedro. And uh, we've been working with the state uh, on some voluntary agreements since uh, 2018. So it's been a long time uh, in the coming. Gotcha. So I would imagine with the age of the district, you guys have what we would call senior water rights in California. That's exactly correct. And just for the audience's benefits, there's um, several types of water rights in California, but the most common are riparian rights in terms of age and senior water rights called appropriative rights. Maybe a little bit more background on what your perspective is the district has, uh, Joe. Uh, we even have water rights uh, beyond our, the appropriate water rights. We got water rights uh, prior uh, to the state even becoming uh, involved in water rights. Uh, Pre-1914 water rights is what those are called. Uh, so we have a whole uh, slew of water rights that we have uh, accumulated over, over time and uh, in the past in California history. That's really incredible. Um, for, the, for our listening audience, it's very rare that you meet someone that knows enough and has enough seniority in line to probably come up with a fairly strong legal argument why those water rights shouldn't be stripped. <laughs> Definitely. 
we're uh, trying to protect our water rights for our growers. Uh, adamantly. we've been working on that uh, for years and we're going to continue to fight and, and work on that. So aside from some of the background, which uh, we will have already covered in this podcast on the process of the supplemental environmental documents, essentially when the state came forward and said, you know, via the State Water Resources Control Board, we want to take 40% of your water behind the dam. What was the district's general reaction to that in 2018? Oh, we've been uh, working with uh, the State Water Board and the uh, all affiliated parties on trying to uh, figure out a better solution than the 40% unimpaired flows in the, in the current SED. Uh, and that's why we were so uh, excited about these uh, voluntary agreements. Uh, we felt we had to uh, uh, close the deal with the last administration and then uh, just continues over the years. And uh, it's sad that uh, we're disappointed in the state's decision to walk away from the Tuolumne River uh, voluntary agreement, that's for sure. So just to, because I, I want to make sure our audience understands, I want to make sure our audience understands the full picture. In the negotiation process of the voluntary settlement agreements, if I have this correct, the districts involved, including Turlock Irrigation District, Oakdale Irrigation District, and the South San Joaquin Irrigation District, oh, along with MID, right? Um, Modesto, along correct? MID, uh, city and county of San Francisco as well on the 12th. That's River. right. I forgot about that. Really important partner that we need to make sure we touch on. But what was the, instead of 40%, can you give me kind of a range of what y'all were looking at negotiating? You know, what was, what was the balance in this chat? Well, we have our, uh, our current flows that uh, are mandated on us and we were going to put more water in and all water year types. Uh, we, we're looking at the best uh, using our science that we've uh, spent a lot of money on with our partners over the last uh, 10 to 15 years at least. Uh, we were going to put more habitat in the river, additional in-stream and floodplain uh, rearing habitat. We were going to actually produce more fish by doing this, and the whole project was going to be financed locally, no extra strain for the state, and we could get it implemented uh, immediately as soon as you had this agreement uh, completed. So. It was a much better package than uh, just uh, the blanket 40% uh, unimpaired flows. Uh, it's going to do a lot more for the fisheries in the Columbia River than any of the 40% unimpaired flows would do with a blanket without all the other slew of, uh, of tasks from sound science that we've uh, studied over the years. That's really unfortunate. I think um, a lot of us were rooting for this process because we, we thought that it brought more stakeholders to the table. And we often say that, you know, the local, local control is some of the best ways to preserve the local resources, you know, not just from an environmental perspective, but making sure that the economy doesn't collapse in and around the central part of the valley, making sure that businesses stay thriving. Um, and since you have so many municipals involved in this, it sounds like there was a deep concern with the state water resources control plan that might have eliminated some water for people. Is that a fairly accurate statement? Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're uh, they're not looking at uh, where the water's needed. Uh, so using a, a a blunt instrument to do a delicate work on the river is uh, I don't think it's the right sound science. Uh, but we can get a, a a solution for the Tuolumne River and all all the tributaries on the on the San Joaquin. Well, it's safe to say I think as a dairy farmer, you thought 
that the district you work in and live in and drink the water from, frankly, um, had a lot more to gain from entering this negotiations than not. Is that, would you agree with that? Definitely. It was a matter of certainty. Uh, once we got an agreement uh, completed, we'd have certainty. We wouldn't be uh, leaving it up for the, the lawsuits and the judges to decide. Yeah, and I think that uh, one of the things that we've covered, and this was a huge announcement last week, that the state of California um, essentially initiated the walkaway process from this negotiating table. And I think maybe if you could give me your perspective on why you think that happened. Uh, I don't know, it's uh, hard to look into what, what they're thinking. I mean, we've been at it for a long time. Uh, we've had uh, agreements, uh, white paper agreements, uh, both sides have agreed to. Uh, I think they, uh, the new administration, we're working with the Brown administration previously and now the Newsom administration, I think uh, they moved on and they wanted to uh, get something uh, documented and uh, in place. But uh, especially on the Tuolumne River specifically, we've been uh, at the process the whole time. We've never walked away from the state. We've always been uh, negotiating with them and uh, we're disappointed that they uh, decided to go down this uh, path. It's really a bummer. Um, I think that most of us who've been around the water space for a long time know how costly litigation can be, and we also know how uncertain the outcome can be. And I think that, you know, just kind of moving forward, it's, it is, it's uh, politically, it's a bit of a gamble from where I sit to see that the city and county of San Francisco are also so engaged in this, and they were also essentially given the middle finger in this process. Um, that's a very odd political calculation from the Newsom administration that hopefully I'll be looking deeper into. But moving forward, and I think this is really important for our audience to understand, can you give me an approximate guess as to how much the districts or this, this collaboration of districts has spent on your own environmental studies trying to find the best approach for both wildlife and people in this scenario? Oh, I don't have that number off the top of my head, but it's in the tens of millions of dollars. Uh, wow. We've been, uh, it's probably the, one of the most studied rivers in the, the whole country, the Tuolumne River. Uh, we're still in the middle of uh, relicensing of the New Don Pedro Dam. So we did all these uh, studies and uh, TID and our partners have been adamant we're gonna uh, follow the science where it takes us. and. Uh, we get to this point and we want to utilize the science that we've uh, paid for for all these years and uh, it's the best available science out there and uh, we're not being able to put it to work so it's disappointing well i really hope that the judge or the arbiter or the mediator starts to see that um at least for you know selfishly for the advantage of our farmers but i also think broadly um i believe strongly in local control and i think that's what you guys are trying to do here so this is a massive disappointment. I can imagine that the entire water world of California is, um, they're probably on edge right now because there was uncertainty, like you said, you've mentioned that word several times. We're all looking for certainty to do business in California. And this was about the most uncertain thing the administration could do. Yes, I gotta agree with you there. Uh, the, the the hope of certainty was the reason why we were at the process the whole time. And uh, now we're, we've always been uh, going down the, we believe the, 
the state water resources a lot of holes in their uh, Bay Delta control plan. Uh, we've been at lawsuits from day one. We've filed lawsuits uh, all along. We've been working with them too on the voluntary agreements, but we were hoping that wasn't our only uh, process that we had to follow. But now uh, the state is a uh, force our hand, and that seems like our only uh, deal is to uh, follow up on all our lawsuits. Yeah, because I think that that's an important piece that we have left out to this mo to this moment is that there were lawsuits filed following the state water resources control decision on the supplemental environmental document, the SED, in 2018. Is that so? There were lawsuits in place that the voluntary settlement agreements put a pause on. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, they. Were, I don't know if a, a pause is right. Where they? I guess they were kind of slow, slower played. I, I would assume. But uh, they were still filed at the right times. And everything is is in process and just a slow process, and it's going to take years to resolve. Uh, but I think we have some, uh, some fairly good uh, legal grounds to stand on. Well, with those senior water rights, um, I think that you are correct. You have very good, very good standing to have this fight. Uh, we'll be with you. Uh, Western feels it's really important to protect the water rights that you you all have, the tributaries in general, um, especially going into times of, of massive uncertainty with drought and climate change. It's something that we all could have used a breath of fresh air in. So if there's anything we can do, uh, we will do it. Well, Any we final definitely comments? appreciate that. Yeah. Any final comments on this, Joe? I mean, plan of action that you know, if, again, if you're a dairy farmer between the north part of the state down to the south, uh, this this situation reflects um, just a, a growing amount of uncertainty on the water pie, the whole pie that's essentially available to agriculture. Yeah, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Uh, we're in the middle of our groundwater sustainability plan and our turlock subbasin. So there's another piece of the, the whole uh, water puzzle in California. So it's uh, definitely a changing and shifting time uh, not a lot of certainty uh but hopefully uh here in the next uh, five to ten years we can uh, develop uh, some certainty on both those, the groundwater front and plus on the, the surface supply in our area as well sounds like maybe there's more water that's needed maybe we need to build out that pie a little bit more uh, yeah it's uh it's, it's discouraging to me that we've been uh our last uh, reservoir of any decent size in the state is, is back in 1980. And uh, everybody knows the population of California has uh, more than tripled since then. So it's uh, disappointing that we can't get any new uh, water storage of any decent size uh, put together. But uh, definitely with the changing landscape, I think we need to uh, for the future of California. Agree. And I think a parting note, just to give people some hope um, in this particular situation, you have a very powerful municipal ally um, and that's something that normally agriculture uh, and water districts uh, that serve agriculture may not always have but the city and county of san francisco um, essentially being your partners in this have uh, are they're going to make this situation hard to ignore and hard to brush off uh, definitely agree with you they've been a great partner on the river over the years and i think they'll continue to be excellent well, Joe, we wish you luck and we will continue to check in with you over the course of the next few months to um, hopefully see if this juggernaut can be shaken loose and that we'll have more resolution. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Joe. Okay.
Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Hi, folks. Hope you had a great week. It was a bit of a rough one in the cheese space. Uh, We lost 31.75 cents on barrels this week. That is the largest five-day slide since we've seen uh, since November of 2020. Uh, Barrels closed at $1.5025. We seem to just have plenty of supply side um, met with very lackluster buy side interest at the spot session. Contact suggests that supply chain issues and also ongoing freight issues may be still creating domestic and export demand challenges. And that's been freeing up some additional loads looking for a home in the spot markets. We lost some on blocks as well, but not nearly as much. We were down nine cents to $1.5850. Their inventories um, seem to be keeping pace with pretty healthy demand. We got um, export data for September. We shipped out 75.2 million pounds in September. That was up 21% over year ago levels uh, and due large part to volumes heading into Mexico. With all the September data in hand now, we calculate that domestic cheese use was actually down 1.4% for the month of September, but still up 3.2% year to date. Moving over to butter, uh, tighter cream supplies, strong demand heading into the holidays, and uh, definitely higher international prices have been uh, providing support for our domestic butter prices. However, ample inventory seemed to be keeping a lid. We tried to flirt with the $2.00. Two dollar level, but didn't quite make it there. We settled the week at a dollar ninety two fifty, down half a cent on the week. Overseas butter prices are climbing at a rapid clip. Uh, at the global dairy trade, they closed at a uh, equivalent of two forty three per pound. That's on eighty percent butter fat. Uh, a Dutch quotation closed at two seventy three, and German in dollar terms. 274. So definitely some excitement in the international butter markets. Uh, Likewise, with September data in hand, we calculate September use of butter was down 2.7% over year ago levels. Uh, But again, year to date still up 1.6. We also had a global dairy trade event this week. Uh, Powder prices surged higher. Skim milk powder closed at $1.65 equivalent. Our markets had some initial fanfare, um, but kind of re- resulted in little follow through the rest of the week. We closed at $1.57 non fat dry milk, that is up 1.25 cents. We had another good year of, uh, sorry, good month of exports for September, up 16.2% year over year on stronger sales to China mostly. Likewise, in the global space, powder prices are pretty high, $1.62 out of Germany and Dutch quotations at $1.60. Finally, uh, nearby corn and soybean futures declined a bit this week ahead of next week's USDA WASDE report, which will offer updated supply and uh, demand estimates 
Analysts expect USDA to raise soybean, but trim corn stocks uh, when the when that report hits the wire on November 9th. The corn harvest is nearing the finish line. We've got 74% of the crop out of the fields. That compares to a five-year average of 66%. And the soybean harvest uh, is also moving along quite nicely at 79%. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. As always, we want to thank Tiffany LaMondola from Blimling. We also want to give a big thank you to Joe Alamo for appearing on the podcast this week. And thank you, as always, to our CEO, Anya Radabaugh. Remember that if you have any questions, you can contact us at wud.pod at gmail.com. Melissa can be reached at M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com, and I can be reached at D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and have a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.